Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. My name is Brandon Laws. I am with Jan Foster, a returning guest, and she is the account executive at Performance Resources, Inc. They are a provider of HR tools, and uh, including applicant tracking systems, assessments, and uh, fitting for this conversation, which we're going to talk about how to hire great sales reps. Jan is a career salesperson with over 30 years of experience with Xerox, another large and some small companies as well. So Jan, it's it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. So let's kick it off. What are some common challenges that you've heard from from people you work with about hiring awesome salespeople? Well, what I hear is that hiring salespeople is one of the hardest things in the world. And the reason for that is that sales professionals are trained to be charming. You know, they often can talk a great talk. But what we want to know when hiring is can they deliver for us in our environment? And can they transfer industries? Because not everybody's going to come from the same type of industry you're in now. That's interesting. So like, when somebody, when you're thinking about, you have an open position, you're about to hire somebody, what are, what are things that employers are looking for on a resume that would determine if they're a good sales rep, if there's even such a way to do that? Yeah, well, what I hear a lot is that they, uh, you know, they're really focused on what have you done before. So have you worked in our industry? Do you have contacts in our industry? Do you know this industry? Um, and that's got some validity for sure, but I think they're, are a lot of people out there that can learn your industry and what we really need to be concerned with is are, do they have the skills, the attributes similar to what we need. If we get the right person in the job, we can train them on those specific skills. You know, we also, employers want to know what results they have delivered and, you know, on the resume, do they provide percentage increased in sales or dollar figures, or is it just, you know, awards that they've won, who they've sold to, what they've sold? So, you know, the people who give facts and figures typically have delivered more than people who just kind of say, I sold this or that. Yeah. So it sounds like it's really a combination of industry experience and like something that directly translates to their business and then also proven results. So percentage increases of growth, uh, revenue targets, goals, those sort of things. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So with current sales reps that are within an organization, what's a, what are signs that it's just not working out? Well, often it's obvious pretty quickly, you know, that they're not learning about your organization. They're not learning about your products. You're not learning what is the differentiator between your products and your competitor's process. 
And those are all kind of learning abilities. So it's very important that we get salespeople that are able to learn, you know, the new industry, new context, how we do things around here. Sometimes people just don't get it or they're not able to communicate at the right level to be able to kind of get through. So think of the uh, rocket scientist trying to talk to someone who's more average like you and me. Um, we can, sometimes we see they aren't making appointments. They're not getting out and seeing people. So that relates to you know, their energy level, um, their perseverance, their ability to prospect. Are they a self-starter? Do they build relationships? You know, do they like being around other people? So those are all kind of behavioral things that we see. And then um, sometimes we see that they're talking to a lot of people, but they're not moving people into, you know, proposing a um, solution or demoing them if it's something you can demo and closing. So, um, you know, they're just not getting people into the funnel, as we call it, in sales. Uh, another error that I see sometimes with the employers is they'll hire somebody and they'll bring them on and they expect results, you know, in the first mm -hmm. 30, 60, 90 days. And if it's a different industry, if it's a larger type of a sale, that does take time. So we don't want to be too quick to judge that they can't sell. So we have to be looking for progress. And there's lots of other symptoms, but, you know, in our heart of hearts, sometimes we just think, this isn't the person that I hired. You know, you just get surprises. You're, you're yeah. disappointed in their ramp up. It's interesting to me because it seems like there are some very clear personality like, traits or attributes or even like metrics that could help us identify those salespeople in our organization that just aren't working out and aren't a good fit. Is there any way to figure that out ahead of time before you even hire somebody? Like through, I don't know, assessments or through the interview process? Or what have you, what have you come to find out about the, that? Well, when we're using um, our sales assessments, there we have a process for that. So if you have a sales team, you know, if it's a larger company and there are some people that I call rock stars, we want to measure them through our assessment and find out how they rate on each of the things that we measure. We're measuring cognitive skills and abilities, kind of like a mini SAT, if you will, and we're looking at behavioral traits and occupational interests. So what we do is we measure top performers and look for more people that share some core characteristics. They're not exactly clones, but they, they um, match closely those people on some things that research has shown matter in picking the right person for the job. And if we don't have top performers, we also have a library of base patterns that we can use, but we'll never use those. You know, it's just not like insurance salesperson, because if you think about an insurance company that's a really super big one versus one that's, you know, five employees, the characteristics of those kinds of insurance sales are very different and the cultures of companies are very different and the levels of support and so forth. So we always use a survey tool to help fine-tune it to fit that particular organization. Yeah, you mentioned like fit and you mentioned the, the word culture. That's the biggest buzzword of 2014, I think, and, and even 2015. But how do you, I'm sure a lot of employers are sort of looking at this saying, okay, I want these behaviors for a salesperson, but I also want like a really good culture fit. What do you think is better 
or what what do you really need to hire for? I guess this is the probably the proper question. Well, the the research has shown that these cognitive things that we're measuring and these hardwired behavioral um, traits, which include how independently they like to work, how they make decisions, how assertive they are, how well they do in a fast-paced environment with lots of interruptions, those types of things um, really matter. And cultures are different. Um, some companies are super, super fast-paced and there are lots of interruptions and other cultures are, you know, you're just kind of plodding along doing one thing at a time. So the cultural fit is important, but I see a lot of organizations that are focusing on the cultural fit more than the job fit. And my recommendation is to make sure we've got the right person for the job but if the little voice in the back of your head is saying they're not a fit for our culture or I don't like these pe this person, then don't ignore that. You've got to make sure that you think they fit your culture. But what we're most concerned about is can they do the job? How are they going to work within our business and with our clients? And are they passionate about the types of things that we're doing here? Are they going to stick with us once a better opportunity comes around? So if you look at your experience and all the years of sales experience you have and all the data that you've seen through your assessments, what do, if there is a, like a prototypical top performer in sales, what do they look like from like a you know, statistical or resume standpoint? Yeah, well, it really depends on the industry and the type of company. Um, it because there's just so many different types of companies, so many different types of sales. Uh, a few years back, I worked for a CEO that told me that if you can sell, you can sell anything. I've heard that before. And, yeah, and <laughs> I, I really, but I, yeah, is that right? <laughs> I really disagree with that because. You know, it's very different working, you know, when I worked for Xerox, a company at the time was 100,000 people with lots of resources and support and everything. And then I went to work for smaller organizations where pretty much I had to figure things out on my own. Mm -hmm. Some people can make that transition, and that's very, very challenging for some people who are used to a lot of support. And there's all different types of um, differences between companies and between sales roles. So you think about um, a company that's selling leading-edge projects, you know, the latest in technology or a new concept that's new to the market. That takes a different kind of salesperson than someone who's selling a commodity item that everybody knows and you're competing on price. Or it's different in a retail environment where your customers are coming to you versus um, more of a hunter role where you have to go out and find the business. So there's lots of differences in sales roles, and that's why we benchmark our top performers or we use these base profiles and then customize it to the specifics of that organization. All assessments aside, when you look at like top performers, what do the what do business leaders say that like what makes a top performer? Well, again, it depends on the industry and the type of sales, but I'd say um, positive attitude is a very mm, important yeah. thing. Having a positive attitude means that they're going to persevere. You know, in sales, you get a lot of no's. You get a lot of yep. rejection. You get a lot of people that don't call you back. So you've got to have a positive attitude to keep going in the face of all of those challenges, or the economy's bad or many other factors. Um, 
I think also, you know, energy level. Uh, some jobs require that a person make a lot of outbound phone calls or a lot of, um, you know, networking meetings to meet with potential referral partners and so forth. And other ones are more focused. You know, I'm I'm working major accounts and I really need to focus on, uh, you know, building the relationships with key decision makers or key influencers. So it's really different from role to role. But, um, you know, I hear fire in the belly is a thing. Mm -hmm. but it, again, it seems like, that, like planning and like somebody who's focused and able to plan out their day and week and you know, focus on goals would be right. the top performer as well. Yeah. So some of the things that we um, look at that are kind of unique to sales versus just the fit for the job are, you know, what can we expect for prospecting? Are they going to keep making the calls or the appointments and keep going? Are they a self-starter? Do they need somebody to be telling them what to do? Because most sales positions, you're pretty independent and you need to be able to do those things on your own. Um, we look at, you know, how are they at building relationships? Do they like long-term relationships? Some jobs really rely on that. And other ones, you make a sale and you walk away and that's the last of it. Um, we look at working with the team. How are they going to relate to the other people in the company, the people in their billing or their support services, their service teams, the management, and, you know, uh, working with outside resources that they depend on. We look at compensation preference, too. That's a big one because some jobs come with a um, – high salary and a little bit of commission or even 100% mm -hmm. salary and other ones are 100% commission where their livelihood depends on selling every week, every month and if a person is not comfortable with that, there's a lot of risk that they'll leave because they're losing that security. And of course, closing is an important skill. Being able to get the order and knowing when to ask for the order, not asking too soon, but not waiting too long, and continually moving people through the sales cycle. Earlier, you alluded to the fact that there are so many different types of sales positions out there, uh, and it really varies across industry and like what's needed. So, you know, for the the employers who, uh, for one, have either a recruiter or hi, uh, HR person or hiring manager looking for candidates that fit a certain type of sales role in the organization, how do you figure that out? What are what are ways to to find out if a candidate is the right fit? Well, that's where I you know my business is focused on assessments and. The research, you know, SHRM has done some studies. SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management and has local chapters all over the place. But they've done some studies where most hiring decisions, and this is true of sales and any other role, are made in like the first five minutes of an interview or sometimes even faster. And a lot of that is based on rapport. Do I feel comfortable with this person? Do I like what they look like and everything? And by using assessments, what we do is we dig into not how we perceive them, not what their resume, which is a marketing document, tells us. It helps us to withhold our judgment until we have more facts about the person. So the assessment gives us more data that we can use to understand how they're like what we're looking for and what they're not like so that we can ask behavioral, open-ended interview questions to determine if those differences are going to get in the way of them being successful. 
again, I have bias, but I've seen it work time and time again, where once we have this additional data, we're able to make more decisions. So here's an example. You've got a candidate who really, really wants this job. They need to make their mortgage payment. They want to get back to work, whatever their reason is. They may come across as being highly assertive, but once you hire them, and they're no longer wanting to get that job, they may not be as assertive with their client base. You may also have someone who's very chatty and sociable and you know just seems really outgoing in an interview situation, but then you hire them and find they want to go hide in an office or in their cubicle or you know hide in some way because they really don't like working with other people that much or interacting with people. So there's some surprises sometimes that we find about people that aren't what we perceive in a typical interview environment. Jan, when you and I started planning for this topic, because we, we both kind of felt like hiring salespeople is such a key function in an organization, like just getting the right person is so important. Uh, so for hiring managers and HR people, they have such a large task in hiring salespeople. Well, you sent me some content when we were planning for this topic on like common variances between different types of sales roles and what could help determine how maybe you want to structure like a resume and, and just things to think about. Do you want to, do you mind just talking about some of those things? I know like company size and industry, those are some of the, the main things, but maybe just kind of run through some of those things that are things to consider. Yeah. So company size is a big one. Larger companies typically have more resources available. And not to say that somebody's work for a big company can't work in a smaller environment. It's just something to consider. Also, we have startup environments, which are really, really different. Fast-paced, everything's changing all the time. We get into emerging companies where maybe they've got more funding or they're a little more established. And then we get into you know well-established organizations. There's different cultures. Um, you know, Xerox was a very collaborative type of a environment, and a lot of workplaces are like that. And then there's other um, workplaces where it's very confrontational. Intel, I hear, is very confrontational. You know, you're supposed to put it out there when you disagree with other people. So we got to look for fit in those areas. There are roles where the person is very self self-directed, and some companies have a lot of micromanagement. They want to know how many calls you've made every day and a lot of details to monitor what the salesperson is doing. If somebody's very self-directed, that micromanagement will drive them crazy. If they're not as self-directed, they may get in an environment where they're not getting enough direction, so that can be a problem too. There's environments where there are a lot of resources, and there's re environments where you have to go out and figure things out for yourself. Some companies provide formal training, and other companies you have to kind of um, do on-the-job training, or you just have to know who in the company to go ask questions to to learn what you need to learn about that company and what's appropriate for your clients. Of course, we've all heard about hunters and farmers. So hunters are out there hunting new business. That's their focus. Then there are farmers who are working with existing accounts and trying to grow the business. And some roles are a combination of the two where you're supporting existing clients, but you're also looking for new business. Then there's different types of buyers. Some types of sales, we're dealing with a purchasing agent, a maintenance manager, 
you know, more um, blue-collar kinds of things. And other ones you're dealing with a CEO or a VP. It takes a different type of person to relate well to those different levels in of buyers in an organization. The industry of target clients is different. Sometimes we're calling on industrial clients and sometimes we're calling on law firms and CPA firms and professional organizations. And again, different people may be more effective in one type of uh, client organization versus another. It's very different selling software versus selling hardware. <laughs> very different. <laughs> uh, I came from Xerox, which is a hardware company. There's a lot of software in it, but when I left Xerox, I started selling e-commerce software back in the day, and that was a whole different game. And some, again, some people can do both, and some people are better at selling one versus the other. Some people are better at selling services versus products or vice versa. Um, sometimes we're selling value, we're selling high-priced items, we're selling, you know, how we can save them money in the future versus a commodity sale, you know, where we need widgets to produce our products. And then there's concrete sales where, you know, here's what I'm selling, here's a Xerox machine or this laptop or whatever versus a conceptual sale, which is kind of like software or, you know, consulting services where we're selling what we can do for them, but we can't actually see it. And then there's different sizes of sales. So some people are dealing in, you know, lots of transactions that are small dollar amounts and other people are selling million dollar systems or engagements. So those are different types of sales environments. And then the sales cycle can be very different. There can be transactional sales versus, you know, where you're working on deals for a year or two or three or yeah. four, where you're working with a whole enterprise and trying to shift, make a major, major change in their organization, and those things take longer. Some people can't endure for that. Typically, those kinds of sales have higher salary levels because Sales are few and far between, but some people thrive on that, getting the big one. <laughs> so those are a few of the differences. I did some brainstorming with a bunch of uh, sales leaders, and uh, they helped me develop this list. And I think it's a good one to consider when I, I think it's really good. company. I think we definitely will have to to add this content up on the, to the, the show notes, uh, because I think it's such a great list. And I think, thank you for kind of walking through that and doing a thorough kind of dive into the variances. So, you know, as we wrap up this, this topic, I want to leave the hiring managers, HR people that are listening with some tools that can help them in their pursuits of hiring, hiring great salespeople. Do you have some, some ideas or um, point them in the right direction for assessments to use and th those sort of things? Well, I certainly represent um, assessment tools and would be happy to talk with anyone. I would caution a couple of things. I see a lot of companies out there that are using what I call personality assessments that are things like DISC, Myers-Briggs, Personalysis, and some of those. Those are great tools. I'm not... I have a great deal of respect for those tools, but they have to be used in the right place. 
So they're not designed for hiring. They're really designed for how are you going to relate to different kinds of people and optimizing that relational style. But somebody can be a different style or you know, several people on a team can be different styles and still be effective in a sales role. So that's not a way to make a decision on hiring. So the tools that I represent look at the things that research that came out of Harvard and you know many, many years of research. And we're looking at three basic things. We're looking at can they do the job? Do they have the right level of verbal skills, verbal reasoning, numeric skills, numeric reasoning? to be able to learn what they need to learn for the job and to be able to communicate at a level that their clients and their coworkers can understand. So if you've got someone who's really, really high on those skills and they need to communicate to a buyer that's not at their same level, we need to make sure that they can kind of uh, dumb down their language to a point that their clients can understand. On the flip side, if we've got somebody who's not quite sharp enough, they may not be able to learn or communicate at the right level. The second area is those behavioral things, how independently they like working, what's their energy level, how sociable are they, how accommodating are they, how assertive are they, um, how do they make decisions based on facts and data or more intuitively or something in between. Do they jump to decisions with a little bit of data, which is appropriate in some some situations, or do they need to gather a lot of information before making a decision? In all of those things, there's an optimal level for each organization and each role in that organization, and we help measure and come up with those benchmarks to compare against. The third area is occupational interest. Is this really what they want to be doing with their life? Are they going to bring passion to this job? Are they going to keep going in the face of all those no's you get in sales? So are they interested in entrepreneurial things, which is what you think of as entrepreneurs, but it's also sales, it's persuasion, it's leadership. Um, are they interested in serving people? Are, you know, Do they want to help make people's lives better? Are they interested in financial and administrative types of things? Are they interested in mechanical things or technical things or creative things? So when we get people that are well aligned with what they're really passionate about, we find they're willing to go that extra mile a lot more. And then, of course, we got to look for those numbers. What have they delivered before? And I would highly recommend calling references, and not only the ones that they give you, but look at their LinkedIn profiles, their resumes, and try to find people that they've worked with in the past or past clients, and see if you can find out any additional information from them. And that's true for any kind of a role, but you know, people will give you great references, of course, they want the job. Yeah. But if you can seek out some other people that they've interacted with and get some opinions from them, I think you just get a better feel for whether they can deliver in your organization and always considering can they deliver in my organization, not just where they've delivered in the past. Great, great, great advice. I, I know this topic 
has probably been on the minds of a lot of people. It's been on my mind. I'm sure it's been on your mind. Uh, everybody we work with, where I mean, sales is so needed in every organization, and, and to hire the right fit is so important. So, thank you for the the great advice uh, for the listener. Do you have uh, any links or resources or anything else you just want to mention before we close? Um, one other thing I would uh, mention is that when we're doing interviews, you know, we we need to ask questions, but we need to dig in further than I think a lot of organizations do. So when you're asking about sales performance, I would ask about, you know, tell me about one of the sales you're the most proud of. What obstacles did you need to overcome? Um, you know, what were some of the challenges you had? Did anybody oppose your your decision? And really dig into how they got this sale, who all they got on board uh, with the decision and so forth, and just keep asking questions to make sure that they're not creating stories that didn't really exist, which happens on occasion, as you may have heard. Um, as far as resources, I would be happy to talk with anyone. And, you know, it's so specific to industries and so forth that um, that might be the best approach. So feel free to share my contact information. Absolutely. And what's your website uh, address that people can go kind of learn more about what you do? Our website is www.prol.ws. Um, and my email is jan at prow.ws. Okay, we'll definitely put a link up to it as well. Jan Foster, Account Executive at Performance Resources, Inc. Thank you so much for joining the HR for Small Business podcast. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure folks listening also learned quite a bit. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com. <laughs>